Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. I'm sure that many of you are afay with the statement that is made about some of our most tragic dates like Tisha B'Av, which unfortunately is uh, about a month away from now because today is the 9th of Tammuz and that's the 9th of Av, that in time to come, those dates will be turned around to be days of joy, of simcha, rather than days of sadness. And I guess there are two ways that one could deal with things of sadness or things that are bad. Um, we think about it when terms, in terms of our teshuva, when we repent, when we take something that we may have done that is bad, we're taking something of a bad element, and there are two ways to deal with it. Either we could erase the bad. When we get rid of the bad, that is one way of dealing with it, and you lift and inverted commas with a clean slate. How much better is it when you take that bad, you erase it, and you replace it with something good, where you've got something positive, some positive energy, some positive statement, some positive outcome that makes it not only restored to its pristine former self before anything happened, but rather we have taken the pit of the bad and we've made it into a mountain of good. We've taken the pits of sadness and we've turned them into mountains of joy. Welcome. This is Rabbi Michael Katz here and I'm with you on for the next uh, 40 minutes or so in this hour between 2 and 3 on a Wednesday. Uh, great to have you in our company. Great to have you with us. And this is going to be kind of the topic that we're going to explore today. But you'll have to stay with me because we're going to go through it piece by piece, bit by bit, to think about <coughs> what today is in Jewish history, what happened to this date and what became of it, and then to think a little bit further forward. In the coming week, there are certain dates and things that are going to take this all and stand it on its head, if you think about it. And then, of course, next week on Thursday is the beginning of the three weeks. And it's kind of a forerunner, I think, of how we should be thinking about it and how we should be thinking about these sad dates that we've got to know are only here and only around on a temporary basis. They're going to go. And not only are they going to be expunged, but they're going to be turned into days of joy, into days of extreme joy, into days of gladness, so much so that the date of Tisha B'Av, which marks the destruction of not one but two Batei Migdash, two temples, is actually the day on which we're told Mashiach will arrive or Mashiach will be born. This is completely um, second mode, not just erasing the bad, but this is turning it entirely into something good. So let's go back to the year 423 before the Common Era. So that is... Uh, two and a half thousand years ago, and we think about what happened on this date, on the 9th of Tammuz, in 423 before the Common Era, which was 3338, according to our calculation from creation. What happened on this day? Well, something terrible was happening. The Babylonian armies of King Nebuchadnezzar were busy today breaking through the walls of Yerushalayim, Breaking through the walls of Jerusalem, that happened on the 9th of Tammuz in the year 
3338 from creation, which is 423 before the common era. King Tzidkiyahu of Yehuda was captured, and he was taken to Babylon. And one month later, the capture of Jerusalem was completed with the destruction of the Holy Temple, the first Beit HaMikdash, and the exile of all but a small number, number of Jews who went and were sent into exile in Bovel, into Babylon. Now, the 9th of Tammuz was observed then as a fast day. Today was a fast day, and that all took place then, and the fast date was then, Babylonian times. But then what happened? This date actually was sort of forgotten as a fast day, or partially erased, let's say it, because of another tragedy which happened in 3829, 69 of the Common Era, so we now fast forward, um, what's it, like 500 years, on the 17th of Tammuz, which is next week, Thursday, what happened then was the Romans broke through the walls of Jerusalem. So there were two breaking through of the walls of Jerusalem, first Beit HaMikdash, first temple, 9th of Tammuz, second temple, unfortunately, 17th of Tammuz. At that time, the date of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash was the date that was observed. Because remember, once we got about Beit HaMikdash back second time, there was no need to observe all of these dates for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. We had one. And so it became then the 17th of Tammuz, which usurped the role of the 9th of Tammuz and became the fast day of Shiva Sabah Tammuz, the day on which not, not only were the tablets of stone broken, um, after Matan Torah Tenu, after the Torah was given to us, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down the mountain, he sees the Jewish people worshipping a golden calf, and he breaks the set of tablets, the first tablets, the first set of the Ten Commandments. He smashed them to the ground so as not to obligate his people in them, and realizing that they weren't yet ready to take upon themselves everything of Torah, um, that happened on the 17th of Tammuz. It became a day embedded in the breaking of stones, if you think about it, because that was when the Romans broke through on the 17th of Tammuz to begin their campaign of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, or the second temple. So we see one date, 9th of Tammuz, first temple destruction, um, expunged, gone away, doesn't kind of warrant the uh, sad and bad feelings um, that it had then, because unfortunately replaced, was expunged, but replaced now with something sad, nothing good yet. By the way, it's on this day, also in uh, 1244, that 24 wagon loads of Talmudic volumes were publicly burned by Christian church officials in Paris. Uh, many works of Jewish scholarship were forever lost as a result, and some fast on Friday of the week of Parshas Chukas, which is this coming Friday, to lament this great tragedy. Twenty-four wagon loads of Talmudic volumes publicly burnt by the Christian church in Paris um, on this day, the 9th of Tammuz in 1244. So we're in the throes of this idea of tragedy, of sadness, Sad things that occurred um, during this time and during this week, and particularly today, 9th of Tammuz, leading up to next week, Thursday, beginning of the three weeks, 17th of Tammuz, culminating destruction of two Batei Migdash, of two temples, on uh, the 9th of Av. So how do we kind of expunge that? How do we erase that 
from our collective practice. Well, we're told Mashiach is going to come. All of these things are going to be turned around. They're going to become days of joy, days of celebration. Why? Because we're going to be able to perhaps see um, the reasons for the destructions of these Batei Migdash because the third Beit HaMikdash, the third temple, is going to be ever greater, much more miraculous, much more meaningful, and the whole world is going to be transformed, is going to be changed. But we're not quite there yet. And at the moment, possibly, I'd like to suggest, we have something that gives us a little bit of a glimmer of what it'll be like if we just reflect forward to dates that come up on this coming weekend, um, the 12th and the 13th of Tammuz, which I'd like to share with you today, I'd like to tell you about, because in a way, they reflect um, a forerunner, a foretaste of this idea of incarceration, of tragedy, of difficulty, leading to redemption and the turnaround of things of sadness becoming not just expunged from the memory, but becoming something of great joy, of great merriment, and of great happiness. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and welcome back. Yes, we're talking about turnaround time. We're talking about changing decrees in heaven. We're talking about um, turning around things that perhaps are embedded in sadness or evil, negativity, and making them into not only um, places and spaces where the difficulties, the problems, the issues are expunged or erased um, and restoring that clean slate policy, but we're talking about turning them around and making them into things, spaces, days of joy, of happiness, as we hope and pray the three weeks will be that is coming up from the 17th of Tammuz till Tisha B'Av. Um, but talking about today, a date that was originally embedded in sadness, that has all but been expunged because of something else negative that happened. And so a difficult way of getting rid of negativity, unfortunately, is this kind of two negatives uh, don't quite make the positive that we hoped for. But perhaps if we reflect on the occurrences going back uh, several years to um, strange and interesting and fascinating and difficult, but yet ultimately most joyous events that happened on the 12th and 13th of Tammuz, Yud Beit and Yud Gimel Tammuz, in the Chabad Hasidic and Lubavitch community. Well, number one, if we reflect on, if we take a look at um, the diary book called Hayom Yom for the 12th of Tammuz, it tells us that, number one, it's the birthday of the Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson. In 5640, he was born in 1880. And it happened to be that on his birthday in 1927, so he was exactly 47 years old, he received the good tidings that he was freed from the exile imposed upon him after his arrest and imprisonment for his efforts in strengthening Torah and Judaism. Yes, we look today at Russia, at Ukraine, and so on, which uh, the world's attention is focused on. It wasn't exactly the kindest and nicest place for Jews um, throughout the ages, and particularly not under the Tsar, and then even more particularly not under the communists who came in, of course, in the 1917 revolution. And there was a ter tremendous amount of uh, difficulty that religious leaders, 
yes, let's uh, be candid and straight. The religious leaders of all denominations uh, suffered, but perhaps none as much as the Jewish leaders. And the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson, who refused to uh, bow down to the demands of a country, a government, a system that wanted to outlaw Yiddishkeit, that wanted to outlaw Torah and Judaism, Torah study, um, he stood up to them and he fought them by his actions. And uh, it was, um, in fact, throughout his life that he experienced several imprisonments. But the harshest of them all, the most difficult of them all, was when he was eventually sentenced to death, yes, sentenced to death in 1927 for his inverted commas heinous crimes of strengthening Torah and Judaism. And then imagine the relief and the joy and the celebration when in 1927 he was uh, told that he was going to be released. The uh, release didn't actually happen until the next day. And so um, the 13th of Tammuz records in this book, Hayom Yom, it says the imprisonment began at twelve at two fifteen AM on Wednesday the fifteenth of seven and five six eight seven, which was the fifteenth of June in nineteen twenty seven. And he remained in exile. That's after the imprisonment he was sent into an exile in the town of Kostroma until half an hour after midday on Wednesday, the thirteenth of Tammuz five six eight seven, which was july thirteenth, nineteen twenty seven. And these days then became known, certainly in Chabad Hasidic circles, known as a Chag Hagula, a time, two days of celebration, of redemption. And we have that kind of turnaround that I was talking about before. It comes in the midst of these harsh and difficult days of the ninth of Tammuz, of the 17th of Tammuz, and building up to the three weeks. But here we have this incredible turnaround where things not only looked bleak, they were tragic, they were awful, they were terrible and terror, terror, terrorizing for uh, the Jewish community to actually think about and to have to live through, and the Hasidic community and the Rebbe's family and so on. And what was it all about? It was all about the Torah and Judaism that he was bolstering and strengthening. And... Here, these days became days of great joy and great celebration. Why? Because, miraculously, redemption came. And it's that kind of redemption that we kind of look at and we focus on and think about because it's a forerunner, of course, to the type of redemption that we look forward to um, when Mashiach will come and we will be hastily exited from this gollus, from this exile, that... um, It'll be in that kind of um, incredible fashion. I'd like to share with you some of the things that the Rebbe himself, the Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, wrote about, first of all, his seven terms of imprisonment. Now, he was replying to a question. He said, in reply to your question about my imprisonment and my subsequent exile in Kostromar, though everything is recorded in my notes for various reasons, he says, the only things that may be revealed are a number of excerpts and general impressions that will be offensive to no one. And here goes, he says, the imprisonment in 5687 in 1927 was the seventh, could you imagine, was the seventh time he was imprisoned because I was imprisoned five times under the old, in other words, the Tsarist regime, and twice under the new, in other words, the communist regime. 
The first imprisonment took place in Lubavitch when I was 11 years old. At that time, following the advice and directive of my teacher, Reb Nissen, I began in 5652 in 1892 to record my recollections in a book. This incident, too, was recorded there in 5653 in 1893. The second imprisonment took place in Lubavitch in ER. Now, remember, there was a town called Lubavitch, the town of love in Russia, um, and that was where the Rebbe's of Chabad settled and where the Rebbe himself was Rebbe until all of these occurrences. The second imprisonment took place in Lubavitch in ER of 5662 in 1902. The informers to the authorities, listen to it, the informers to the authorities were the teachers of the school that had been founded in Lubavitch by the Society for the Dissemination of the Haskalah, of the Enlightenment. Jews, Jewish teachers, who informed on the Rebbe's activities, had him arrested, had him placed in prison. The third imprisonment, also in Lubavitch, in Tavis 5666 in 1906, resulted from the participation of members of the secular Poalei Tzion party in an uprising against the local police. The fourth imprisonment took place in Petrograd in Tavis of 5670 in 1910. The informer in this case was an educated Jew called K. The Rebbe only referred to him as K, even when somebody informed on him and had him thrown into prison, he didn't want his name mentioned um, so that it shouldn't be perpetuated at all, he called him K. The fifth imprisonment, also in Petrograd, in Shvat 5676 in 1916, resulted from my efforts to obtain legal information concerning military exemptions for people serving in rabbinical positions. Imagine that. They threw him into prison for his efforts to obtain legal information concerning military exemption for people in rabbinic positions. The sixth imprisonment in Rostov on the River Don in Tammuz 5680 in 1920 followed my denunciation to the authorities by D. D, another informer, the head of the local Yevsektia, which was, of course, another Jewish informer. Each of the above arrests, however, resulted in imprisonment for only a number of hours. The seventh was somewhat weightier. Now, the rabbi intersperses here, and he says, normally an analogy is less earnest than an, its analogue. Consider then, if imprisoning a body in a jail of wood and stone is called suffering, then how intense must be the suffering of the divine soul when it's imprisoned in the body and the animal soul? This is something worth thinking about deeply. The Rebbe says, I will not deny that from time to time the seventh imprisonment brings me particular pleasure. As witness, even now, some seven years after the event, this was written in 1934, I occasionally set aside time to spend alone to picture in my mind's eye the sounds and the words, the sights and the dreams that I heard, that I saw and I dreamed in those days. A lifetime spans a certain number of changing stages, childhood, Boyhood, youth, young adulthood, adulthood, advancing years, and old age. People also vary in their gifts, whether common and mediocre, or wonderfully luminous, likewise in their natures, for example, whether bashful and morose, or jolly and exuberant. But apart from all these variables, in the course of a lifetime, divine providence engineers particular periods which sometimes change a man's very nature. They develop his gifts and set him up at a particular height so that he can gaze upon the ultimate purpose for which a man lives his life on the face of this earth. Above all, 
A man's personality and gifts are most intensely escalated by a rich period in suffering, which is inflicted on account of his vigorous endeavors for an ideal. This is particularly so if he struggles and battles with his pursuers and persecutors for the sake of preserving and advancing his religious faith. Such a period, though fraught with affliction of the body and suffering of the spirit, is rich in powerful impressions. Such days are luminous days in a man's life. Every single incident in such a period is significant. In particular, if imprisonment is involved, the resultant spiritual benefit is so great that it warrants the recording not only of days and nights, but even of hours and minutes. For every hour and minute of torment gives rise to inestimable benefits. It makes a man so resolute that even a weakling is transformed into the most courageous of men. My rest began, he says, at 2.15 a.m. on Wednesday, the 15th of 7, 5687 in 1927, continued until 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, the 3rd of Tammuz, 5687 in 1927 in Leningrad, which is today Petersburg. He says, now, think about it. He was released on the 3rd of Tammuz, Gimel Tammuz, which is our Rebbe's Yorotzeit, of course, uh, commemorated just last week. So from the 15th of Sivan till Gimel Tammuz. And he says, after these 18 days, 11 hours and 15 minutes, I spent approximately six hours in my home and at 7.30 p.m. took the train to Kostroma. Kostroma was the place where the Rebbe was going to be sent there. It's on the Volga River. Um, and he was sent to Kostroma. I arrived here on Monday, the 4th of Tammuz, and remained in exile until 12.30 p.m. on Wednesday, the 13th of Tammuz, for a total of nine days and 17 hours. And he says, finally, in response to your request, I'm now sending you selections of my notes concerning the respective terms of imprisonment. So think about how the Rebbe looked at um, his own incarceration, his own imprisonment, and how not only did he learn from it, but there was this idea not only to expunge it from the memory, but to turn it into something that he realized that he pronounced made him and everything that he stood for all the greater. Um, and perhaps that is a small vision of this gollus of diaspora, of our incarceration in this world, in a body, um, as was uh, mentioned before, but our incarceration in a number of exiles, and particularly this exile that has been going on for a, a long, long time. And we keep on praying and keep on thinking about Biat Mashiach, the coming of Mashiach, when everything will ultimately be turned around. And we'll be able to look back and reflect and think about how Great was the learning and how great was the involvement in all of these things of exile that have turned us into a much greater people ready for the coming of Mashiach immediately. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We've been talking about the upcoming days of the 12th and 13th of Tammuz and what occurred on those days. And, of course, it was the days of Geula, the days of the redemption of the previous Lubavitcher from imprisonment and from exile, um, which took place in 1927. Now, to continue, um, just 
reading a few excerpts of things that were written in the uh, Rebbe's diary and so on and recordings of uh, the things and the events that happened at that time to give us a little bit more of an insight into what this redemption actually meant. We're told that on Tuesday, the 12th of Tammuz, that's the 12th of July, and the Rebbe's 47th birthday, the Rebbe appeared at the headquarters of the GPU, accompanied by Rebbe Altaus, for his obligatory weekly appearance. And this was when he was in exile. The local GPU official greeted him genially and informed him of his release. You're totally freed from the need of any further appearances. The order has been received to grant you full freedom. And I regard it as a personal privilege to be the first one to inform you of your complete amnesty. Rabbi Altas reacted with intense emotion. His face went from deep red to pale white and back. The Rebbe had to calm him and help him regain his composure. The Rebbe's daughter, Chaya Musia, who uh, was uh, later the, uh, the, the Rebbetson of Chabad, married to the Rebbe, to the Rebbe's, uh, so she was um, the Rebbe's daughter, married to our Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, Chaya Musia. She called the family in Leningrad by, tele- by telephone to inform them of the liberation, with the added warning to keep the information secret. She also sent a telegram to make sure they understood clearly. They signed the telegram in the place of the name Bli Pirsum, without publicity. In Kastramar, news of the Rebbe's release spread like lightning. Even before he returned to his lodging, the news had already broken. Upon his arrival, the Rebbe viewed an unusual and moving spectacle. Chassid Rebbe Michal Dworkin was dancing around the house with, in his hand, a bottle of wine, and upon his lips a melody with Russian words, singing with great feeling, Nyet Nyet Nikavo, nothing, nothing exists aside from God. The small son of the Chassid danced about in somersault fashion, his feet flailing above and his hands firmly placed against the fence. On that very day, the 12th of Tam was a large gathering of Jews assembled in his lodging in Kostroma, and he delivered the Maimer, Hasidic discourse, which is, God is among those that help me. The day was a legal holiday, and the GPU office could not issue the actual certificate of release until the following day. Imagine bureaucracy, even then, had to delay uh, the actual redemption, and the order from Moscow to release the Rebbe had been so emphatic that when the Rebbe arrived the next day to receive his release papers, the official asked that he write next to his signature that the delay was not their fault. <laughs> After receiving the certificate of release, the Rebbe delivered the Maimer, blessed be the one who bestows good, before the large number of people who had again gathered in his dwelling. On the 14th of Tammuz, the 14th of July at 9 in the morning, the Rebbe left the city of Kostroma, a free citizen. And on Friday the 16th, he arrived in Leningrad, accompanied by two emissaries, especially chosen by the Jewish community of Kostromar. And because of the aforementioned danger, only a brief stay in Leningrad was planned. That Chavis, the Rebbe, was called up to the Torah and recited the benediction of Hagomel, the blessing to God for release from dangerous straits. At the Kiddush after the services, the Rebbe delivered another Maimer, bearing the same title as the one he delivered in Kostroma, this time elaborating and explaining at great length the concepts of the first one. The Shabbos meal celebrated also the Sudha a feast of thanksgiving as required by Jewish law when one is safe from peril. The Rebbe said another Maimer, another Hasidic discourse, lift, uh, lift up your hands in sanctity. And in a letter about these events, the Rebbe writes the following. 
the great clamor in the land, the prayers and supplications, through the recitation of psalms day and night by hundreds of cities, and the proclamation of the fast days, all these were heard in the loftiest heavens, and God influenced the hearts of judges to ease their verdict. During the first ten days of my imprisonment, word of my arrest reached the highest levels of government here, as well as the, in the officialdom of foreign lands. It appears that influence from abroad strongly affected the leaders of this country in their final decisions. And many years later, on the 12th of Tammuz of 1945, the Rebbe made a declaration, which we will sum up with uh, right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So on the 12th of Tammuz, coming up on the Shabbos in 1945, the Rebbe declared, this is the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, said I was confined for 19 days. At such a time, one is subject to the ordeal of controlling one's eyes, sealing, sealing one's ears, and desisting from speech. In that period of my life, I lost all sense of gratification that is derived from material things, not only for a while, but permanently. Then I did not think of myself at all. What thoughts could I have about myself while being constantly confronted with the fragility of life? I heard the begging of the prisoners pleading for life, only to see them taken out to be shot ten minutes later. My own idea then was that the initial decay of a seed is a preliminary necessity for later flourishing and growth. I never experienced a sense of solitude. I was always mindful of the fact that I possessed revered ancestors, my father, my grandfather, great-grandfather, and all the luminous holy figures whose courage and merit would endure eternally. I reflected on my father's discourse. She girds her loins with strength, which I had heard 50 years before in 1895 in 5655. And so when we think about these days of trouble, these days of sadness, these days of darkness, these days of gollus, of exile, let's never, ever give up the hope, the knowledge that the days of darkness and sadness are going to end. Mashiach is going to come. There is going to be light. There's going to be glory. There's going to be a turnaround. And these days of gloom and doom are going to be no longer. They will be not only expunged and erased, but they will absolutely be turned around to be days of great joy, great simcha, just like the joy and the simcha that uh, the, the previous rabbi and his followers felt then and we feel now in the coming weekend, the Shabbos of the 12th and 13th of Tammuz, days of great joy in the turnaround from days of sadness that precede and actually still do, unfortunately, follow. But let's take a leaf out of this book and make sure that we carry on demanding, believing, and knowing that Mashiach will come any moment now. And with that, we will be redeemed. It will be a Chag HaGeula, turnaround of everything sad and dark. We look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week for another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, and look forward to seeing you then. Take care.